Hello and welcome to Making It Work, presented to you by Hobbs, in case you hadn't guessed. My name is Otega Uagba and I am the founder of Women Who, which is a platform and community for working women. I'm also the author of Little Black Book, a toolkit for working women, which much as it suggests, it is a career guide for working women, which I believe may be somewhere hanging around somewhere this evening. In case you hadn't guessed, this evening is all about working women and careers and how to build and create the kind of career that you really want and that works for you. So I don't know if you're perhaps stuck in a bit of a work rut or you want to make a career change and you don't know how to do that. This evening is to make that possible for you. And helping me do that this evening are our four brilliant panellists who are four extremely entrepreneurial and career-driven women who are going to be sharing their career stories and their insights in the hope of helping you find a career that you love. Without further ado, I'm going to introduce our brilliant panel. First up is Whitney Hawkins, who is the founder and CEO of Online Florist Flowerbox, which is basically kind of like the net porter of the online flower world. Next up, we have Isabel Spearman, who is a branded image consultant and a regular contributor to the Telegraph's fashion pages. And she is also the ambassador of Smartworks, which you'll find out a little bit more about in a second. Then we have Michelle Kennedy, who is the co-founder of Peanut, which is an app that is created to connect like-minded women who also happen to be mothers. And last but certainly not least, we have Kate Stevens, who is the CEO of Smartworks, a London-based charity that works to get women either into employment or back into employment. I'm going to hear a little bit more about that in a second. So I'm actually just going to start by asking each of you just to kind of go down the row, starting with you, Whitney. Tell us a little bit about your career story and your career background and let us know how it is that you've gotten to where you are. Hi, everyone. So nice to see all of you. I am Whitney. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Flowerbox, which is an online flower delivery company. I came at Flowers later in life. I started my career in fashion. I worked for almost 20 years for the designer Tom Ford, starting as his PA, literally from like getting him his lunch to, you know, I finished after 19 years as the senior vice president of communications for his own brand. So sort of really worked my way up there, decided I was turning 40, I should say 30, but I was turning 40. Um, I was pregnant with my third child and I sort of was defining my career path by decades. And Tom had always taught me to do that. He always said, you know, you should have a 10-year plan. And I sort of, you know, I was turning 40, I was pregnant with my third child. And I was like, my 10-year plan isn't, you know, to be getting Tom a Diet Coke in, when I'm 50. And I had this idea to start Flowerbox. It was terrifying because I had sort of a dream job and a dream situation, but I started it two and a half years ago. And luckily, we've now launched in France, Belgium, Ireland, Germany, and um, about to launch in the US. But not without its pitfalls. We'll find out more about those in a second. And you, Isabel? I'm not as brave as that. <laughs> um, I worked for Anya Hindmarch, the handbag designer, for eight years and started on the shop floor, actually. I begged her to give me a job when I was at university because I hated university. I said I'd pay to go to Paris Fashion with her. I still owe her the money. <laughs> um, and I learned everything because I literally started on the shop floor, got to know the customer and then worked my way up to communications director living in New York, which was amazing. And had a brief liaison in India with an Indian boyfriend, which I don't really mention normally in my CV. <laughs> and came back and started working for Samantha Cameron at Downing Street. So I went from fashion to politics and they're very different. And I kind of left politics after five years and it was amazing. And, and working with Sam was incredible because we weren't political. We just were there. We weren't nice to do anything political. So we kind of got the best job really in the building. 
and working lots of different charities. That's where I came across SmartWorks, as well as many others, and then had a second baby and thought, I don't really want to go back to, to nine to five every day and started my own brand and image consultancy. So I now work with professional women on their image. If they're suddenly having a big job change, they need help with their confidence and kind of getting a new outfit or new public facing strategy. So if they want to do more media and I also work with brands. So I work with a lot of brands on their work where I can edit and telegraph and doing stuff with smart work. Michelle. Hi. I didn't work in fashion, sadly. I'm sorry, guys. I started life as an M&A lawyer at Mishkondorea. And after a like weird twist of many different roads, I ended up working for a big dating platform called Badu, which is a huge European dating platform, and became deputy CEO there. And as part of my time at Badu, saw that there was this new emergence of an app called Tinder and one thing led to another and I reached out to someone who was formerly at Tinder and we started working on what is now Bumble. So my, my background was very much working in dating. I had my little boy, wasn't dating personally, <laughs> and um, felt like there was this huge opportunity to do something which was geared towards women who happened to be mothers. I didn't really resonate with any of the kind of branding and, and products that were out there aimed at mothers just didn't resonate with me. And it felt like there was this huge opportunity to kind of bring this very fragmented market into a single product which connected women based on more than just the word mom, but was based on kind of like-minded women and facilitated conversations. So I did the scary thing of leaving my very nice job in 2016 and started researching what building Peanut would look like and we launched in February last year, and we are in the US, UK, recently Australia, and Canada, and it has been the most terrifying, stressful <laughs> time of my life, but very rewarding and exciting. And I think that it's really important that if you have an idea and you have a concept, you don't just be the friend who keeps telling her girlfriends that you're going to do something and actually do it. <laughs> And I'm, I'm Kate Stevens. I'm the chief exec of SmartWorks. I started my 20s in political consultancy. So this time of year, I'm usually or used to be at a seaside resort <laughs> at party conference, which is always utterly Isn't this bizarre. so much nicer? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's very nice not to be doing that anymore. A similar theme as I, as I kind of had my children, I looked for something else and ended up being a trustee of a charity, actually, a completely different charity. And it was an amazing way to get involved with the sector. And for me, I discovered this world that was dynamic and exciting and entrepreneurial and where you had to turn on a pinhead because you're trying to do all these amazing things with very little resource. And I just found it incredible. So I thought this is where I want my day job to be, really. And that's where I found SmartWorks about five years ago when it was just becoming SmartWorks and had this great idea based on a very simple idea that when a woman looks and feels good about herself, she can do really brilliantly. And just before an interview, every woman needs that boost. So we give every woman interview clothes, interview coaching, she goes on and 60% get the job. What a brilliant idea. So it's been my kind of privilege over the last few years to take this great idea and bring it to life in other cities around the UK. So really scale the model from being a one centre thing to being something that's now in seven centres across the UK. And just all the challenges that come with that of how you build a brand, how you 
kind of take people with you, how you set down rules, how you build an infrastructure. And it's been more of a journey than I ever thought, but incredibly exciting and, and just the most rewarding thing. I think it's, yeah, well done. Um, I think a 60% hit rate is probably higher than any interview hit rate that I had. So maybe I should have discovered SmartWorks a little bit earlier, but no worries now. Um, I want to kind of dig sort of into a bit more detail about how you all started your businesses, because I'm conscious that often when you hear stories about people starting businesses, oh, I founded this business and now we're doing this, but I want to know quite literally how you went about doing it. What were the first steps after you'd all had these amazing ideas? What were the first steps towards actually taking it from idea to reality? And actually, I'd love to start with you, Kate. I think it was just understanding how brilliant this thing was that we had. You know, that you look at it and just think, this is so amazing. It works so well. It's all delivered by volunteers. All the clothing is donated. It's just such a simple model. It can be done really badly and we have to look after it and do it brilliantly. It's very easy to destroy a vulnerable woman at that moment when she's looking in the mirror. You know, so we're very serious about it. But it was that passion, mm. really, to think this is this is amazing. This is something really brilliant. And it was almost like a mission then, a passion that actually, I, you know, my chair is such a massive part of this and it's her kind of vision. Mm. We need to take this and, and bring it to other women around the UK. And that's really been at the heart of everything we've done since then, just that insight, really, that this is what we're doing and why. I think having that vision is really from sort of, I speak to lots of, Entrepreneurs, both male and female, and I think one thing that sort of sets the successful ones apart is having that vision. I'm sort of intrigued by, you know, the process of, you know, starting a charity, and it's probably slightly different from other sorts of businesses. But for instance, do you need a lot of capital to get something like that off the ground? If so, where did you get that from? Yeah, so we on? had some great support, actually. So okay. we, we had a different name. We used to be a different type, a different an American kind of franchise charity. So we became SmartWorks to become a UK entity. Basically, the people who made it happen were a big grant funder. So it's a, probably the equivalent of an investor yeah. who comes along and says, we will give you the money to and do this. do you sort of put a case to them? Okay. Yeah. And you sort of have to account for where the money's going exactly. to go. Exactly. So we kind of pitched that idea, really. And yeah. they just said, you have to do this. You have to do this. And then we went around to our big supporters, including Hobbs. Um, <laughs> and people like Bobby Brown. It was slightly odd, the cast of people who might support a charity, but... We had big funding coming in from um, some cosmetics companies like Bobby Brown. We had big funding coming in from some publications, some media publications who really supported us. And we needed to know they would buy into this yeah, and support course, us and, and kind of stay with us really as we as we started this. So it was a mixture of things, probably similar, but a little bit more nuanced, um, not nuanced, but slightly different yeah, to no, private sector. And actually, I know, Michelle, that probably, I guess, uh, with uh, Peanut, one of the first steps, well, I might be wrong on this, would have been for you also to get funding for it. So once you had the idea, how did you go about getting off the ground? Was the first step to get funding? I suppose I kind of did it a little bit back to front. I had saved a little bit of money and I knew that I needed to have a war chest because I didn't want to just be solely reliant on going out to raise. So I was fully expecting that that kind of initial capital would require me to build a proof of concept and met an investor and spoke to him and he was like I love it I'll give you your first check so it was I had the offer of a of a term sheet before I actually had a product which was amazing and then absolutely terrifying because I had no team no product no debt like just me just a deck and had to go and find all those things and then fill the rest of the round and find the rest of the investors. So I suppose I did it back to front. I want to ask a little bit about the investing process because I've spoken to you about this before and I know that 
I think there is a lot of talk about entrepreneurship these days and the idea of VC or venture capital and getting investors is very sexy. It, also, people, I think, make it sound a lot easier than it is. <laughs> of, no, of, no. Sounds like you have a story to tell. But I kind of want to know what the pros and cons are of going that way because, it's, I mean, you said you use sort of some of your own money yeah. up front to front it. And I want to know why that might be sort of a better option for someone, if that's also something you're in a position to do, than going straight to VCs. You know, the one thing that we have to remember, and it's so easy to forget, and I forget it myself, it's like a, a mantra now. If you're starting a business and you take money from someone, they're not giving you money for nothing. They're taking some of your company in exchange. And so whatever you take starts to slice and dilute your, your shareholding. And I think, I, I particularly feel it's a very female trait that sometimes we're, we get to the point where we're grateful that we've been offered or we feel lucky or fortunate or all these terrible words I've never heard a man use to, um, <laughs> to receive an investment. And the, the truth of the matter is we're not lucky and we're not fortunate and we're not grateful. They have given you money because they believe that they are going to make money from you. And as soon as you start to kind of run through that process, you start to think, actually, maybe I don't want to take money from you right now because maybe you're not giving me the valuation that I want to have. And maybe I'm going to give you too much of my company. And maybe I'll just wait until I get to this certain point and then I'll come back and speak to you because then I'm going to take more money from you and give you less. So I think have more leverage then. Exactly. Yeah. And I think sometimes we, we forget some of that positioning. So I... I definitely don't think it's sexy. <laughs> and I think that there's just this whole world. I, I didn't know about the VC world before I was raising for Peanut. I'd been running a business where we were PE backed and it was a totally different world. And I genuinely believed the only option was I'm starting a startup. I must go and speak to a VC. And I didn't know any of the other step, steps in between. And the other point is as soon as you're generating revenue, you know, then ultimately you're you're kind of paying for yourself and then it's about scaling and growth and actually maybe you don't need other people's money at that point. So you bootstrap it a little bit. Yeah. Whitney, I feel like you wanted to say something about No, so funnily, so I just had an experience just a week ago where we had been, we've been in nine months. Yeah, you don't even know this. We're mm. friends, but I haven't mm. even told you this. So we're like <laughs> nine months into negotiations with a VC. We were raising half of our round with friends and family. So three million from friends and family and then three million from VC because we thought that gave us credibility, basically, that they would carry on if we needed to have a subsequent funding round, that they would write this big check, they would get behind us. And so nine months of negotiation, we had agreed terms, and then they came back a week and a half ago with new terms that were just stacking up the sort of, they would get three times their return, mm. they would get... And it was like all, all of these things that I learned are not market. They're not standard. They're actually not fair. They're not founder friendly. So I made the really difficult decision last Friday to say, thank you very much for your three million pounds. I'm not I, I don't want your investment and, you know, to pull back. And I had to then tell all our other investors, I've, we've just ceased negotiations with this big investment firm. So all of this to say it's not sexy. You know, it seems sexy, but they come so loaded, those investments, and they want so much back. And if you don't, for example, if we didn't sell Flowerbox for under 80 million pounds, if we sold it for under 80 million pounds, then they would just basically get all the money. So mm. it was like, it was ridiculous. Um I also think, you know, what's also underestimated is the demands put on you by by investment. You know, the more investment you have from other people, the more you have to perform and you become sort of a show pony where it's like 
they love you as long as you're delivering, you know, but then there are months like August when everyone's out of town where you don't deliver and they're like, what happened? So I think, you know, with investment comes responsibility. So as much as it's attractive to have this extra money, it's also, you know, there are a lot of strings attached. Mm. I want to sort of change tack slightly and talk a bit more about sort of promoting your business and your brand, because I think that's something that's really important when you're sort of getting yourself out there. And specifically, you know, I actually want to talk to you as well, because I know that in terms of a business, your business is slightly different than that your business is almost... Yeah, I was sitting here going, oh, no, I'm no, 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 of course, you, <laughs> exactly. But it's, you, you know, your business is yourself, which yeah. I think is a similar thing. And Which I've made a very conscious decision, because I wanted to do a retail business when I had, I had dreams, kind of, I love dresses. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to set up a retail business. And our very good friend, Amelia Wickstead, said, don't do it. Really? <laughs> just don't do it. And then I was watching Samantha kind of about to launch her dress and she was just there, the most stressed I've ever seen her, literally kind of going, oh, don't do it. So I was like, oh God, what am I going to do? <laughs> so I, I made a conscious decision to do something that had no overheads, which is just me. So just me. And how did you go? Because I think also you went from, you know, working for Samantha Cameron to being self-employed and running this business of one. And I'm curious to how you kind of navigated that shift, because I think self-employment is something that lots of women are interested in. But, you know, making that jump is difficult. I've made it myself. It is mm. difficult. So I want to know how you did that. Kind of by mistake. Okay. I, uh, I, I left Downing Street with a lovely um, Daily Mail profile, which luckily I think they've got bored now. And <laughs> they, when the long list of OBs and CBs came out, I mean, everyone got one. <laughs> and I was on that list and I got two weeks of front mail. I think I was in front of the first day and then the second page of the second day. And then basically because there weren't many women that got the awards. So they were just putting all the women on the front of the pages. And it was August, so it was silly season. And I thought, God, well, I didn't know what I'm doing. What am I, what's my business? I had vague ideas and I had spoken to someone who helped kind of was helping me navigate them, but I wasn't ready to launch anything. And then the editor of the Saturday Times magazine emailed me and said, hey, um, we're just shooting some autumn winter stuff. Will you come in and shoot it? And I thought, okay, style it, fine. No, no, we want you in it. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, in a small little box. Anyway, it ended up as a five-page kind of Saturday Times spread of me launching my business. I remember that. <laughs> it was so I, I do too, I loved it. I just had to keep going. I was like, okay, well, this is, I went to the interview. I didn't even expect there was going to be an interview at the shoot. And this is someone who's worked for Anya Highmarch for eight years and Samantha Cam for six years who negotiated every single interview, I knew everything that was going to happen in those moments. And I walked into this interview going, or not an interview, a shoot going, I mean, very, very naive anyway. But in a way, it, it made me kind of have to commit to something. And it's been, it was a very good decision. And since then, how has it been sort of gone in terms of, I presume you sort of have various clients. I mean, I love with. it because everything feeds off everything else. Yeah. So the client work feeds off the work that I do with the brands, that feeds off the telegraph I do, and then it feeds all smart works. It's kind of a, a massive part of that as well. And it all it's very organic. It feels very organic. And I love working with women. And I had Anya, who is amazing, and then Samantha, who's amazing. And I just loved working for strong, working women. And so I knew that I did want to, whoever I was going to work with next would have to match up or be that kind of person. So that's why I kind of ended up going down the route I did. Mm. And I think that, that story kind of really shows how instrumental press can be in terms of getting you no out there. No such thing as bad press. I oh, wow. <laughs> wow. It's funny that you say that. Um, but I'm intrigued as to how you've all gone, gone about sort of promoting your brands and getting the word out there because within your respective categories, you will have 
really prominent positions and you're kind of market leaders and you have great press and great profiles. So I want to know, if you don't mind sharing, what your strategy has been. Um, well, luckily, I come from a communications background, so it oh, really does come like quite naturally to me. I'm also lucky that you know I have 20 years of relationships with the editors, and I knew them when they were junior editors at Grazia and junior editors at Harper's Bazaar and other editor-in-chiefs. And so luckily, I, I built those relationships, and they've all—I think what's been really moving to me is that I always thought if I left Tom that they weren't going to support me. And the fact that I think because I was nice and they really became—they really were my friends that they've all gotten behind me. I'm also really lucky, which I didn't know, I didn't really realize when I launched, is that flowers sort of promote themselves. So you send an amazing bunch of flowers, everyone Instagrams it, and they do the press for you. But it's such an Instagrammable thing that it's not even like you need to ask influencers or or anyone to, to post it, they just do. So it sort of does its own press. Luckily also, you know, we hadn't planned on having an events business as part of our our business model at all. It was meant to be strictly B2C, but the events business really is a side of the business that speaks and that does its own PR. You know, we we did the facade of Annabelle's. I'm not sure if you guys saw it, but then it's like that did its own PR and did PR for us and drove the B2C business. So I think, you know, doing those sort of showcase that, that the clients pay for, they're not free events at all. But having these sort of showcases of your work then drives the um, sort of does its own press and, and then drives its own, it drives the business. And you have business. a great logo. Oh, thank you. I love <laughs> you your do. logo. You do. That's so nice. It's interesting you mentioned Instagram actually, because Michelle, I wonder how Instagrammable is an app. And also, did you have these sorts of connections? coming from the background that you had done and then becoming founder? How did you no. get the word out about Peanut? I suppose there were a couple of things. The first thing I learned very early on from kind of my my former world was the brand narrative is really, really important. Mm, and yes. you have to be consistent in what you're saying and say it over and over and over again. And if you can't say it in like five words in a way that your mum will understand, then it's like it's too long already. And so we got 10 to four mums. Okay, um, but at least it was immediately recognizable it's an easy and, and, and people understood what we were talking about. More importantly, any opportunity to kind of explain to people what we were doing and why we were doing it and why they should care, we were just consistent about what we said and how we said it. Is an app Instagrammable? Not me. You are. <laughs> you are. You are. Well, it's interesting because I think something that is worth talking about, and you've just said the narrative is the founder story. I think that is something that's you know, sort of really influential in terms of how far your brand carries. I think in terms of the work that I've done with Women Who with my book, I know that part of the press has been because there is a face to the brand, there is a face to the book, and people people aren't that interested in brands per se, they're interested in people. So I'm quite curious, actually, Kate, how sort of how important has the narrative of SmartWorks been in terms of promoting and yeah, getting out Yeah, we've been there? on a slightly different journey. But again, the, the thing about repeating over and over again what it is you stand for and what you're doing and why you're doing it has just been essential, especially if we've opened in new places and new locations. And I remember, and it's amazing what you take for granted that people understand about your brand that actually is nothing to do with your brand. And yeah. you have to be really careful. Our first centre outside London was in Manchester and the new chair came down to see us. I was kind of walking around the office and clocking it all. And she walked away and said, right, okay, I think I know what I've got to do. We need leather sofas in reception. I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, the girls in SmartWorks are laughing because we have these terrible leather sofas in the reception at at our HQ that were donated to us. I hate them. 
But they'd come in and seen that and thought, right, leather sofas, that, that's the look and feel. And actually, that was nothing to do with the look and feel. And actually, you've got to be really careful. To not dilute and, your brand. Uh, right, OK, that's it. So then we took some real time to bring everyone together and articulate what is it about SmartWorks? What does it mean to you? What, mm. what words would sum it up? And we came up with words that really have stayed with us throughout that journey now. So to be fun, to be aspirational, to be empathetic. Mm. And those, that's what I want someone to feel when they come into SmartWorks, not to think... The leather sofa. <laughs> so, uh, but, but you've got to be careful, you know, because it's very easy for people to. You think that people have understood what it is that you're trying to get across, but actually, they've got no idea. Yeah. So it's. And I, I think it's interesting because sort of staying on brand is something that I think is it's difficult to do because you can kind of get pulled in different directions yeah. by different people, and people's interpretations of what your brand is can then kind of reflect. And if you're not careful, you just kind of will go off course. I'm quite curious because, Isabel, obviously you work as a brand and image consultant, and I presume you work with brands as well as individuals. When you're kind of going about crafting their brand, and I assume it's so much more than just how they look and what they're wearing, what are some key things that you kind of bear in mind and how do you try and communicate what a person or what a brand is about to the public? I think it's very different. The, the branding side is kind of, I mean, it's what... Whitney does with any retail, but I love branding. I, I mean, I could kind of brand a milk bottle. I just think it's it's my favourite thing to do, actually. <laughs> um, and I think branding for fashion is, is very different. But branding a person, it's about personal brand. And I think everyone's got their own personal brand. And it's confidence is massive. And how you present yourself. And it's not, it, yes, of course, it is how you come across and what you're wearing. But it says the first three minutes and what you say. So I meet a lot of clients that go... I walk into a boardroom and they're senior women and I don't know how to say what I do. You know, that is as simple as that. So I work with a team that I bring in and we do lots of public speaking practice and it's not just a presentational level, but it is building your personal brand. So you really believe in yourself. You have the confidence in yourself. And when you walk into a room, you know exactly who you are. You feel great about yourself and you know what you're going to say. And I think mm. that's a personal brand. And that's very different to the fashion branding side. Mm. I want to sort of change tack again and talk quite a sort of in-depth business question and talk about business plans because I think this is something that is yeah, I never very, find those. Well, <laughs> I'm going to find that from Michelle. Whitney. But, you know, putting together a business plan is not something that I've ever had to do. Maybe one day I will, but I've heard from friends who've done it that it can, you know, that is your business can live and die in that in terms of getting funding. So I want to know what a sort of, what are a few key steps in putting that together? What are some things to bear in mind? What are investors looking for or fund you know people who are potentially funding you in a different way from being investors how do you pitch yourself and your idea and your business to other people why do we start with you michelle <laughs> i was just thinking about that one i think that your business plan and however you're going to set that out and that includes your kind of top-down approach so your vision and then some of your goals and then kind of your financial model obviously and, and your forecast but but also how you're going to your route to market and that's really important often people forget that that's important what team you'll need in order to help you achieve all of those things and to ultimately kind of achieve the vision so it's always about breaking it down and mm -hmm. thinking about the story that you're going to take that person on because ultimately you're a storyteller and if you can't take that person on that story you won't be able to bring them on board and whether that is because you're trying to hire them or whether that's because you want to work with them as a brand or a partnership or whether that's because it's an investor, they have to be taken on that journey and that story. And that can just look like so many different things. But if by the end of that deck, that plan, that person understands what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it and how, 
then you've succeeded. If mm. they close it and they're not sure, then I think you need to go back and kind of start again. The other thing that I would always say is whatever it is that is in the content of your plan should be able to be distilled into a one pager because mm. ultimately it should be that kind of here's what we're doing, here's why, what it is and, and why you should care. Here are some headline points. If you've kind of already started and you've got some really great stuff, like always like front load the good stuff too. Here's some other things that you should care about. And now let me walk you through the rest of it in a bit more detail. So that kind of simplicity approach and, and clarity of message and storytelling is as important for your brand as it is for your kind of, this is why that we're building this business. You mentioned something interesting there about um, bringing people along the journey who you might potentially want to hire, which I definitely want to touch on in a second. But before we do, I wonder whether you have anything to add in terms of putting together a business plan. What are some sort of top tips for success? No, I think you really summed it up is, is telling the story because every investor that I've met is like, we're investing in, in the founder and we're investing in the story and where you see yourself going. I think it's also important to be very ambitious because anyone investing in you wants you, you know, wants to see someone who's very hungry and very ambitious. And the financial results and targets that you present have to be very ambitious, but they also have to be something that you're going to be held to. So they also have to be achievable if the wind blows in the right direction and, you know, the world doesn't fall apart. They have to be sort of long shot achievable. And a lot of investors that I've spoken to say they expect you to sort of hit 85 to 90% of your target. So sort of keep that in mind my results are very different than yours because they're very tangible. Yeah. It's like sales. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's a um, different, I would say to be very ambitious and very hungry in your business plan, but also in an achievable way. Mm. Yeah. But I think that's right as well. If you don't say how you're going to measure whether you've been successful in what you're trying to do, then no one mm. is going to know whether you've kind of, you can follow through on it. So we've got very different metrics. My metrics are always going to be about growth or retention or engagement. But unless I kind of say, this is what good looks like, not everyone has to so identify your KPIs really and yeah. have. Oh. Sorry, just can we explain what KPIs are? Yeah, for? so your key performance indicators, like what is showing that you're doing well and you're you're on the right path. And, you know, for me, it's sales. But for, for Michelle, as, as she's saying, it's retention, how many users are on the website, how many people mm. stay on the website, mm. I mean, on her app. How yeah. many do you have? Uh, 400,000 now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, Thanks, guys. Oh, yeah. I think that calls for a round of applause. Um, and then I did want to talk about hiring, more specifically in the context of actually managing others, managing and leading, because I think that is such a core part of you know, running a business, even if it is just a business one, because presumably as well, you kind of work with other partners who you sort of pill in and, you know, delegate to and all that sort of thing. But Kate, I'm wondering sort of what are the key management and leadership experiences that you've learned? And I've got people from the company sitting there, so yeah, it's all going to have to be completely honest. Um, how, have you, how do you find the experience of managing others and how, you know, how have you learned to do that well? I think if you've got all the basics there and in place, then actually you can tell that story to your staff and your team and they buy into that. And I think when you find people who want to do that and are on the journey with you, that's the most exciting thing. And you can really think, you know, this is amazing. We're going to be able to do this. It's that feeling of relief, I think, when you find somebody who think, oh my God, they're going to make it possible. <laughs> and, and you can see the potential. And, you know, for me, um, I have a fantastic chair and it's um, that relationship is incredibly important to me too. So to have like a a running mate alongside me to do this and be there to talk to, I found personally valuable. So mm-hmm. there's there's a definite a sense of a kind of team spirit. And then and then just, you know, finding those people who want to do it for the right reasons. Yeah. You know, that they're on the journey with you because 
they really believe as well and they've got the right skill set to bring something to that party. I imagine that's really important for the sort of business you run. I'm, yes, I'm intrigued exactly. though to hear um, about some of the challenges that you found in managing. Like, are there, is there anything that you found particularly challenging, even if not just at SmartWorks, but before that? Yeah. And how have you learned to overcome that? I, I think there's a certain pace that we want to move at, which is you know, challenging and not for everybody. Yeah. It's um, And just because we're a charity, to me, we're just an organisation trying to achieve as much as possible, mm. using as little resource as possible to have a great outcome, which is what every business does, really. You know, we just, we're not aiming to make profit, we're aiming to change lives and have an impact. So, it, but it's the same bottom line. Mm. So, you know, we have, we have our KPIs, we want to make sure one in two of the women we help get a job, we want every centre to see 30 women a month. And we want to make sure that this service is delivered so that a client comes and feels that they've had a good experience. Mm. And those are the things that we, we hold ourselves to and hold everybody else to. So I think if you're clear about that, it's easier then to kind of work and manage some issues that might be more difficult because it might not be right for everybody. You yeah. know? And it's, um, it's important that, that people can see that and make those decisions. And what about you, Whitney? How have you found the process of managing other people? Or are there lessons that you learned, you know, during your 20 years of working for Tom Ford about management? Is there anything that you found particularly challenging that you might think that you sort of learned from? Oh my gosh, so many questions. Um, <laughs> I think, well, the one thing that I found very challenging at the beginning, you know, here I was pregnant trying to hire people and be like, this is going to be amazing, you know, and now it's a lot easier. But to be like, here's this woman in her living room saying it's going to change the way the world consumes flowers and trying to convey that vision to people and get them as excited about it as I was. And I didn't, you know, a lot of people funnily were like, no thanks. Like one took a job at Google, one took a job at Burberry, our creative director, who's now working for us because now, you know, <laughs> it can, you know, two years later, they're like, wow, this is really exciting. Or three years later. So I think that was a big challenge, um, especially having come from Tom Ford, where I had lined up people. I could pick, Imagine. you know, the best of the best. We had huge salaries to offer mm. um, and who didn't want to work there. So that was a big challenge. I think the most important thing is to like be right there with them. I am so in the trenches with them and the people that I'm most proud of and the thing I'm most proud of with Flowerbox is my team and how hard they all work, but they know I'm here tonight. They know I'm not at home with my kids, which I, you know, I need to see my kids. They know I'm out here. Like we're all sort of working for the same goal. And I think they see me doing that. They see me wrapping flowers or climbing on a ladder and putting things, you know, I mean, they see me sort of with them in the trenches. So I think that part of being a good leader is showing that I'm, you know, we're all working to this goal and working together. How many um, staff do you have? Now we're 31. So cool. Um, and they're amazing. Yes, I'm very grateful and so, so, so lucky. It's the thing I'm sort of most grateful for. Because as you mm -hmm. say, you're like, I'm not doing this by myself. You know, like you you feel like you have partners that are helping you mm -hmm. exactly. um, make it happen. And with the same urgency and speed and excitement. But I think, I mean, having worked for Anya, who was literally had one store when I first started. And by the time I left, which is now continued, to be with someone who's passionate about their product and passionate about telling you about their product, it's so exciting to work with. So, you know, we're very lucky that we have these women that provide exciting jobs. And oh, it's exciting. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, actually, well, I want to find out how your sort of experiences of management work, because as I said before, I presume you kind of work with lots of different parties and, you know. Yeah, I just manage my children. Okay, yeah. right. <laughs> no, I've got a great network of people that I call, it's like, I'm like a menu. Mm. So you can pick me, then you can say, I also need this and I need help with this. And I, I bring on great consultants and we kind of either go in, in two or in four or in a team of 10. It kind of depends on what the client needs. How do you manage those relationships, though, with the various consultants that you pick? Because their performance and their attitude 
does, I'm sure you realise, reflect uh, on really you. I've been really lucky. Okay. I, uh, there was one guy who was kind of my mentor and kind of started me. I had this idea of what I was going to do and he was like, yes, yes, you should do that. And I was like, mm. okay. And then the times thing happened. But he had an amazing team around him. He sadly passed away this time last year, actually. And his team was still in place. And I work with a lot of his team and they had done it for 20 years. So I've learned so much from them and I brought in something new to the table, but actually I've, I've learned a huge amount from them. So I've been very lucky. I found the right people the first time. That's brilliant. And how about you, Michelle? How do you go about managing? What are your top tips for management success? Better ask my team that. <laughs> um, I think that your hiring or your team is the most important thing because I spend more time with my team than I do my family, as Whitney said, and we all have to feel like stakeholders. It's just not enough for it to be peanut and the employees. Every single one of us is working towards something and we believe in the division and we believe in trying to make women's lives better. And that means that if you are all working at stupid o'clock, at least we're all in it together and we all believe in it and we all want to. And if something does go wrong and, you know, it's a Saturday afternoon and I'm at football with Finn and all of a sudden it's Mm -hmm. like there's a bug, I know that I can call someone. They're like, okay, I'm on it. Like we can deal with it. And we can all do that. And that's quite extraordinary, but it doesn't happen every day to be able to do that. And the only thing I would say again is if you're not really clear at the start with of whoever you're going to work with, where, whether it's as a partner or whether it's as a team, um, to kind of say, this is our vision, this is what we're going to do, are you in or are you out? You won't necessarily guarantee that you're kind of all in and you're, mm. you're all kind of committed yeah. in that same way. So I think it's that kind of honesty of this is what we're doing. The other thing is I'm so honest with the team about everything because it's not just for me, right? So I'm very clear about our runway. I'm very clear about our metrics, what's good, what's bad. And because it's a shared responsibility and it also keeps us all in check. If our focus for one sprint is retention, for example, and someone wants to work on a kind of different project, it's it's incumbent on all of us to be like, doesn't tie into retention. Mm. In the same way that if I want to kind of be off like, let's do this really great campaign. And everyone's like, no, it's, it's August, <laughs> Michelle, like for example. You know, and we need, we need each other to kind of to check off. So um, I suppose that only comes with a real like love and kind of deep understanding of what you're doing. Mm. You're very intoxicating working with a great team. I do yeah. miss it, actually. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. I want to ask everyone one last final question, which is, if, you know, anyone in the audience is sitting there, sitting on an idea, a business idea, a project or a new sort of career avenue that they want to pursue, what is sort of one proactive step that they can take to go to help sort of make that idea a reality? Does anybody who wants to go first on that? Otherwise, put a pick somewhere. You can right. test so, it. I'll start. Oh, I'm going yeah, to yeah. go all in. Okay. I told you I'm awkward. Yeah, you really are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you can test it and it can be in a really, really tiny way. But your proof of concept doesn't have to be really elaborate. Your proof of concept could be a WhatsApp group or it mm. could be a Facebook group or it could be, depending on what you're doing, you can you can really kind of pair it right back and that will inform so much about what you're planning to do. You might completely scrap it and start again and that's okay and you'll make loads of mistakes and that's okay as well. But I just, sometimes I, I speak to people and they're like, I've got this idea for an app and I'm always like... 
don't start with the app. Don't start with the app. Start with the kind of proof of concept and go and try and establish it in a different way. And if you're onto something, the app will come or however you kind of iterate it will, will come. But just you can prove it in, in a really small way and it will give you a good taste of whether it's good or not. And how about you, Kate? I think kind of that, making sure you can distill it into something that is simple and comprehensive. I always think it's quite a good thing to be able to, like if my seven-year-old can get it, like then it's it's probably all right, yeah. you know, and it will fly. And obviously simple things are deeply complicated to pull off in ev whatever sector you're in. I really believe that. But I think you do need that simplicity at the heart of it. So I think you need to be able to refine it and articulate it in a way that someone can understand who's not a grown-up. <laughs> And Isabel, what do you think is a good first step for someone who's considering self-employment to take? Don't fear the tax man. Um, <laughs> I think, oh, yeah, get an accountant. Yeah, get an accountant. Um, I, do, I, I learned so much from Anya and she always says and still says to me when I call her up and go, oh my God, she do things that scare you. You know, mm. don't, don't be scared of being scared. And actually, I'm, I'm really enjoying putting myself out of my comfort zone a lot. Mm. I say yes to pretty much everything because you meet the most amazing people when you do, and then you leave that, and you haven't died. You know, everything's all right. Mm. And sometimes you cock up, but most of the time you don't, and you're really proud of yourself. And I think it is, you know, being asked to do things, and then when you work for yourself, you don't really have, which I do miss, that wingman having saying, come on, you can do it, mm. but you kind of got to do it to yourself, and you've got to be very self-disciplined and, and scare yourself regularly. That's very true. <laughs> And how about you, Whitney? What's a great first step to making that business idea a reality? Oh my gosh, I mean, I really have to say you guys have nailed it. I think, <laughs> you know, not that getting out of your comfort zone is key. And I lived my whole life in my comfort zone. You know, it was a very cozy place. So I think now every single day I'm terrified of something. I'm either meeting someone I'm terrified of, I'm in a situation I'm terrified of, and it's thrilling. And I've never felt more alive <laughs> in my life. But I also think just going back to what you were saying, I did, you know, I started it with a survey to like all the moms at school, like, would you use this service anonymously to find that out and just understanding like if there's, you know, market traction and then also just the business plan, just putting, distilling it onto, you know, five sheets of paper, three sheets, not even, it doesn't even have to be that sophisticated, you know, even on a page, what should, what are you doing? Um, and just be really clear in your brain about having a simple sort of vision, really. Mm. Okay, I think that's all we've got time for in terms of questions, but everyone's going to be sticking around for a little bit. I would like to say a huge, huge thank you to this lovely panel for sharing all of their wisdom and advice. Do feel free to stick around. I think there are going to be canapes and champagne, and you guys are all welcome to shop. I believe there is some sort of discount, maybe 20% off. Don't leave without getting your goodie bags. Um, and yeah, thank you all for coming thank and thank you, you to Hobbs for hosting. Thank you.